Blog Talk Radio. experience is a taste of what will be commonplace in heaven. Your highest highs spiritually, your profoundest depths spiritually, would be the commonest things of heaven. 
We're tasting in a small way the age to come. Welcome to Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. What if you knew today was your last day on earth and tomorrow you'd wake up in heaven? Would you be excited, nervous, scared? Would you want to stay awake tonight as long as possible to hold on to this world as long as you can? Unfortunately, that seems to be the mindset of many Christians. To them, Heaven isn't more wonderful than life here on earth. But as you'll see today, the eternal home God's preparing is far more thrilling and satisfying than any temporary joys this world can offer. See how glorious it's going to be today on Grace to You Weekend as John MacArthur launches a study titled Heaven. Now here's the lesson. Turn for a moment to 1 Kings 8.27. 1 Kings 8.27. It says... Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain thee. Solomon says, How much less this house which I have built. Now here the scripture says that on the one hand, heaven and even the highest heaven, or literally in the Hebrew, the heaven of heavens, can't contain God. How can we say on the one hand that the heaven of heavens can't contain God and on the other hand that the heaven of heavens is his abode? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how we can say that, but that's what the Bible says. There is a sense in which the heaven of heavens can't contain God and yet there is a sense in which that's his abode. I don't think it's too difficult to understand. You could understand it from a simple human illustration. I have a place where I live, but there's a sense in which my house cannot contain me. It cannot contain me bodily at all times, and it certainly cannot contain the effect of my life, the effect of my influence, and so forth and so on. So in a very crass way, a very common way, we can understand that God can dwell in heaven, and yet heaven, in a sense, cannot contain God. But there is a heaven of heavens where God dwells. It is his place. It is his dwelling. In Isaiah 57:15, For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place, he said. God has a place where he lives, a real place, a dwelling place. In Isaiah 63, in verse 15, Look down from heaven and see from thy holy and glorious habitation. That tells us where the place is. It's in heaven. He says in chapter 57, God has a place. And in chapter 63, God, he says, look down from your place. And he calls that place heaven. That's the heaven of heavens where God dwells. In the New Testament, just so that you'll have a New Testament reference, in Revelation 3, 12... He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out from it any more. I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from out of heaven from my God. And again, the New Testament identifying God with heaven. God lives in heaven. Now let me give you a little bit of a quick trip through Matthew just to kind of solidify this thought in your mind. All right? Open your Bible to Matthew 5.16, and let me see if I can't nail this thought down and show you how important a thought it is in the New Testament. Now follow, Matthew 
Let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's where? Who is in heaven. Verse 34. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Verse 45. In order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Verse 9. Pray then in this way, Our Father who art in heaven. Chapter 7, verse 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? Verse 21. Jesus keeps repeating this. Chapter 10, verse 32. Everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father, who is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father, who is in heaven. Chapter 12, verse 50. For whoever shall do the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. And over in chapter 16 and even in verse 17 there, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Chapter 18, verse 10, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, a believer. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now, you get the feeling that Jesus wants us to understand that God's in heaven, don't you? Over and over and over, he repeats it. In the sixth chapter of John, in identifying God and heaven, Jesus says in verse 33, For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven. Obviously, the one who came from heaven was the Lord Jesus Christ, again indicating that that was the place where God dwelt. Verse 38, I have come down from heaven. Verse 41, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Verse 42, I have come down from heaven. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down out of heaven. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. Verse 58, this is the bread which came down out of heaven. Now, what I want you to understand is that heaven is a place. And God lives there, and Christ came from there. It is not a figment of imagination. It is not a feeling. It is not an emotion. It is a place. It is God's place. It is the place where God lives. In fact, now watch this thought. It is so much God's place. Follow this. This is a key to interpreting the New Testament. It is so much God's place that heaven became a synonym for God. And you find that in the New Testament. Let me show you. There are several illustrations. I'll just give you one or two. In Matthew 23, 22, it says, and Jesus speaking, He who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Heaven there is synonymous with God. You swear by heaven, you're swearing by God. They're really one and the same. Heaven is the place where God is, and it is so much His place that you can refer to one or the other and mean both. In Luke 15, verse 7, I tell you, in the same way, there will be joy in heaven. What does that mean? Joy on the part of God. Verse 18, I love this. The prodigal son comes back, now listen to this. 
And he says, Father, I have sinned against what? Heaven. What does he mean? I've sinned against God. Now listen carefully. Whenever the scripture refers to the kingdom of heaven, what does it mean? Kingdom of God. It's just another way to express God. You say, well, why did they substitute the word heaven for God? It's interesting to note that. The New Testament writers are not necessarily bound by that. They'll refer to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Jesus referred to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. But they mean one and the same. In the period between the Old and New Testament, there's a 400-year gap called the intertestamental period. During that period, the Jews really highly developed a tendency never to use the name of God. That tendency had been there even at the end of the Old Testament era. They didn't like to use the covenant name of God because they thought it was too holy to come through their lips. And so they began a process of substituting things for the name of God. And one of the things that came in the intertestamental period, which they substituted for the name God, was heaven. Instead of saying, uh, I worship God, they would say, I worship heaven. Instead of saying, call upon the name of God, they would say, call upon the name of heaven. Since God's name, they thought, was too holy, they substituted the word heaven. And by the time the Jewish culture of the New Testament is settled, any reference to the kingdom of heaven in their ears is simply a reference to the kingdom of God. It's the same reality. It's the place where God dwells, the place where God rules. So to enter the kingdom of heaven is to enter the kingdom of God. Heaven is a place. Let me take it a step further. The Apostle Paul says something very interesting in Ephesians chapter 1. Look at it for a moment. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now follow this, verb tense, past, who has in the past blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Now look at chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. It says that God in His mercy loved us, and when we were dead in transgression, verse 5, made us alive together with Christ. That's our salvation by grace. You've been saved. And, past tense, already raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. We aren't in heaven yet. That's a place. We're not there. Though we're not in heaven, we are in the what? The heavenlies. You say, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. Heaven is where God is. Heaven is where God rules. Heaven is where God dominates. We're not in the place called heaven, but we are presently under the dominion of the king of heaven. So we're not in heaven, but we're in the heavenlies in that sense. And what the writer is trying to say is we have come under the rule of God. When the Bible says Jesus preached the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he meant the kingdom of God is at hand. And when he called people into the kingdom, he called them to salvation. When Jesus said you must be saved, he meant salvation. When he said you must inherit eternal life, same thing, he meant salvation. And when he said enter the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, he meant salvation. So when you become saved and inherit eternal life and become a believer in Christ, you enter into the kingdom of God. You're under his rule, not in heaven, but in the heavenlies, as it were. You're under his rule. So presently, we don't live in heaven, but we live in the heavenlies, and that's why we are to have our preoccupation with heavenly things. We have a heavenly life. Our new life in Christ is life in the heavenlies. That is, it is under the dominion and the rule of God. Now, what is heaven like? It's a new order. 
It's a new community of holiness. It's a new fellowship of harmony with God and Christ. It's a place of joy and peace and holiness and love and fulfillment. And don't we experience that in part here? Hasn't the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee or the pledge of that, produced in us the fruit of love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control? All of those will be characteristic of heaven. We are experiencing them in a smaller way here because we, not in heaven, are in the heavenlies. The hymn writer said it's a foretaste of glory divine. The future heaven where we will be, we are tasting right now. We have the pledge of the Holy Spirit. We have the life of God within us. We have the rule of God over us. We know joy and peace and love and goodness, blessing. We have come into a new kind of humanity, a new kind of community, a new kind of fellowship, a new kind of family. We have come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are no longer under the dominion of Satan, but under the dominion of God in Christ. We have a new life principle. If any man be in Christ, he is a new what? Creature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. We are new creations. We are members of a new family. We are no longer in the family that we once were in. We are children of God. So heaven is a place... But it is also a sphere in this world where God rules and gives us a foretaste of glory divine. Now listen to this. The best of your spiritual experience is a taste of what will be commonplace in heaven. Your highest highs spiritually, your profoundest depths spiritually, your greatest blessings spiritually would be the commonest things of heaven. We're tasting in a small way the age to come, the glories of the life to come. So we live now in the heavenlies, and we need to occupy ourselves with that heavenly kind of mindset. We're part of a new order, a new community, a new fellowship. We possess a new life principle, a new family, a new citizenship, a new affection. And we're just passing through this life in this world, until we can get to the place where all of the heavenly reality becomes just that for us. It is now a sphere where we live under the rule of God and in the blessing of His Spirit. It someday will be that and a place where we will actually set our glorified feet and walk, a real place. The prayer of Jesus, what a magnificent, magnificent prayer it is, John 17. Listen to verse 24. I love this. Father, Jesus says, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory. That is Jesus praying to the Father to bring his own to heaven where he will live forever and ever. So we're in the heavenlies now, and someday we'll be in heaven. What a tremendous hope. In John 14, do you remember it? Beautiful promise. Stop letting your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, many dwelling places. 
Not mansions, folks. Rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. See, Jesus wanted us to be forever where he is, that we might see his glory and the glory of his Father, and he's up there right now preparing a place for us. In my Father's house are many rooms. We will be in a physical form. We're going to talk about that. What are we going to be like in heaven? It'll be a physical form in a sense, and yet it'll be an eternal and glorified supernatural form in another sense. And by the way, the moment you leave this life as a Christian, you go to that place. There's no limbus patrum, as the medieval theologians called it. There's no limbo place. There's no purgatory place. There's no pit that you wait in. You go immediately into the Lord's presence. Absent from the body, said Paul, present with the Lord. Philippians 1, far better to depart and be with Christ. Is that your heart's desire? We should, in this hour, live in the heavenlies to the degree that we long for the fullness of all that spiritual blessing could possibly be. Do you rejoice over the work of God in your life? Do you rejoice because he has given you all the good blessings you have? If you do, you're going to want more, and if you're going to want more, you're going to want heaven. So when I think to myself that Jesus actually prayed that all who knew him would spend eternity with him to see his glory, how thankful to God I am for that. And I want to have the heart of Paul. I want to to literally long to be clothed upon with my heavenly form. I want to get out of this world and on with eternal bliss. And I hope that by the time this series is over, you're going to want the same thing. And it's going to have a profound effect on how you live your life in this world. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, how thankful we are for this great promise, promise of heaven. Father, I just pray that each one of us will learn to live with heaven in mind. Loosen us up from this world. Help us truly to set our affections on things above where everything we really love is waiting for us. In Christ's name, amen. You're listening to John MacArthur as he begins a series titled Heaven. John is graced to use featured speaker. He's also pastored Grace Community Church since 1969, and he's chancellor of the Master's University and Seminary in Southern California. John, you said today that God gives us a foretaste of glory in this life. So talk about that a little more. What might that look like? And and how can someone who might be listening to us today be sure that he's not only enjoying that foretaste here on earth, but he's also going to experience the real fullness of it one day. Yeah, you know, when the Lord taught the disciples to pray, he said, pray this way, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I thought about that a lot through the years, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is going on in heaven? What's what's heaven like that could come down to earth? Hmm. Uh, Heaven is where God is exalted. Heaven is where Christ is honored. Heaven is where holiness dominates and prevails. Heaven is where all is peace and all is joy. And where does that come down to earth? How does that come down to us? Well, the answer is the closest thing to that heavenly reality is the life of the church. 
So I've always felt that the church is where heaven comes down. It's where there is the exaltation of God, where there is the lifting up of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is full of worship. When the church gathers, it should be full of what is essentially heavenly worship that corresponds to what you read in Revelation 5. There should be a dominating reality of righteousness and holiness. There should be peace. There should be joy. There should be the fullness of relationships. There should be all of those things that are richly ours in heaven in a sort of a preview form in the life of the church. I don't think an isolated believer experiences all of that. Heaven is a collective experience of worship and praise and adoration and holiness and purity in the fellowship of the saints and angels. And I think the church is the earthly picture of that. And if you are a part of the earthly church, and if your heart is filled with joy in the experience of the church and the worship of the church, the preaching of the Word of God so that you can worship out of knowledge, uh, the, the joy of fellowship and all of that, if that is what your heart loves on this side of heaven, you can be sure you are a citizen of heaven. Mm. So, I would say assurance is one of the great guarantees that we're going to go to heaven. The assurance that my faith is real. My faith is real. Along that line, let me just mention to you, there is a booklet called A Believer's Assurance. How do you know you're going to heaven? How do you get victory over doubt about that? Well, this booklet will help you. A Believer's Assurance. It has eight reasons why people lack assurance. And it gives you the answers. Just a very brief 25 pages cuts right to the issue. A believer's assurance will send it to anyone who asks. A believer's assurance. Be sure you're on your way to heaven. Yes, we want to get this helpful booklet to as many people as we can. Just call our toll-free number or go to our website. Get your free copy of A Believer's Assurance when you contact us today. The phone number here, 855-GRACE. And our web address, gty.org. Again, just call toll-free 855-GRACE or go to our website, gty.org. A Believer's Assurance will help you answer two vital questions. How can I be sure I'm saved? And is it possible to lose my salvation? The booklet answers those questions by looking at the different reasons you might struggle with assurance. And then it shows you how to overcome those doubts. If you're looking for the peace that comes from knowing you are God's child, then make sure you get John's booklet, A Believer's Assurance. Again, we'll send it to you for free. Just call our toll-free number, 855-GRACE, or go to our website, gty.org. That website, one more time, gty.org. Now for John MacArthur and the entire Grace to You staff, I'm Phil Johnson. Thanks for tuning in today, and make sure you're here next week John will answer the question, what will Christians do for all eternity when they become citizens of heaven? Find out when John continues his study titled, Heaven. Join us as we continue celebrating 50 years of unleashing God's truth, one verse at a time, on Grace To You Weekend. We kick it old school. We kick it old school. We kick it old school. We kick it old school.
What about prehistory? This is Ken Ham, a missionary to our evolutionized culture, even the church. It seems nearly every history or science TV program looking at human origins, or history in general, uses the words prehistory or prehistoric. But does the idea of prehistory fit with a biblical worldview? Well, the Bible is a record of history, and it starts with, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So history has been recorded since the very beginning by our all-knowing creator. So is there even such a thing as prehistory? Well, no, history has been recorded since the beginning of time. Indeed, when we start with the history in God's word, we have the true history of the earth and universe, and our words should reflect that. Get equipped to think biblically about science and history when you visit AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or view a complete transcript at AnswersRadio.com. Blessed assurance, Jesus is 
people, this is Ken Ham, and our popular life-size Noah's Ark is located in northern Kentucky. Yesterday we learned there's no such thing as prehistory. After all, the Bible starts recording history from the beginning. So what about so-called prehistoric people? Well, here's how we understand prehistoric people, like Neanderthals. Genesis tells us God created Adam and Eve as the first two people. This means everyone is descended from those two. Now, Neanderthals weren't primitive. They made jewelry, played musical instruments, and made beautiful tools. They were clearly fully human, and that means they're descendants of Adam and Eve just like us. So-called prehistoric peoples were just people descended from Adam who lived 
after Noah's flood. Discover more about the true history of Earth and humanity when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com and plan your visit to the Ark Encounter when you go to AnswersRadio.com. Prehistoric cavemen? This is Ken Ham, a publisher of the Apologetics award-winning family magazine, Answers. We often hear about prehistoric art on cave walls left behind by some ancient cavemen. But there's no such thing as prehistoric since God's word begins recording history from the very beginning. So how should we understand cavemen? Well, cavemen were simply men who, well, lived in caves. 
These people weren't any less intelligent than we are. We found jewellery, musical instruments, tools, weapons, and even more in these caves. Cave-dwelling people were human just like us. Now, Noah's flood was followed by the Ice Age. Cave people were simply populations of humans, and they chose caves as their homes during a harsh time in history. Have questions about science, the Bible, creation, and evolution? Visit our award-winning website at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again at AnswersRadio.com.
ancient intelligence? This is Ken Ham, CEO and co-founder of Answers in Genesis and the Creation Museum. According to evolution, mankind has gradually become smarter as we've evolved. They don't expect to find examples of great intelligence in ancient man. But we know that ancient peoples buried their dead, wore makeup, made musical instruments, and even supplied their homes with hot water. Ancient man was not a dumb brute. All humans throughout history are made in God's image and display the creativity and skill we'd expect. See, many Christians struggle to understand ancient peoples. But when we start with the Bible's history, they're not a mystery. These peoples were descendants of Adam and Eve through Noah, and they lived in the harsh world after the flood of Noah's day. Plan your visit to the Creation Museum in Northern Kentucky when you go to AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or view a transcript at AnswersRadio.com. best. 
Blood Legends, this is Ken Ham, author, speaker, and blogger on the Bible's reliability and authority. This week we've learned there's no such thing as prehistory since God's Word records history from the beginning. And we find evidence all around the world that confirms the Bible's history. You see, in a biblical worldview, all people are related. We're all descended from Adam and Eve and related through Noah and his family. Cultures all around the world have legends of a flood. Many talk about water covering everything, animals getting on a big boat, and even a rainbow in the sky afterward. Sound familiar? Well, these legends are distorted cultural memories of an event from history, a real event, the global flood of Noah's day. Get answers to your questions about science and the Bible when you visit our faith-affirming website at AnswersRadio.com. You'll be equipped and encouraged at AnswersRadio.com. Cause Christ in the music is no longer the hot trend Logic says, well maybe I should just stop then But I never got into this for a spot in the top ten I do this for one reason Jesus the true king, son To help God's elect obey Hebrews 3.1 And though the rap world is ever crowded If heaven allows it, I'll keep writing for the 7,000 I know you out there, I still get the emails Against the church of Christ, the gates of hell will never prevail It's founded on the rock, and the gospel never stops So we dropping the topic, whether it's popular or not Sin is not just intoxic and the clock is going to stop God is not to be boxed with the wrath of God is burning hot We were locked in sin's closet Our conflict was cosmic God plotted to stop and hit the demonic with a shot I was copping narcotics, agnostic with a plot No optics for the knowledge of the God who often not Jesus rocked me with the gospel and it tied me up in knots So I hopped in a rocket and met the prophet at the top Yo, that's just another way of saying I met God in the scriptures But we just gonna let that breathe for a second, you know what I mean? The Bible says he was been forgiven much, loves much We gonna talk about BC a little bit Gravity was total, not small like pops I was chained to sin, I couldn't take off the locks I thought I was a player, a match with the flavor Say I know what the time is, but I ain't read Isaiah I would chuckle daily as I paid for disgrace My eyes were always puffy like I got sprayed with mace I would toot my horn at parties, and I would do bars Got so intoxicated, I was ready to do Mars Notorious for acting pretty silly in my city Philly Friends hear about it and be like, whoa, did he really? Because I played dirty Bill beer style Through great mercy, spirit-filled and dear child Went from so gritty to headed to a gold city In Christ I shine, the world's light no biggie, whatever time to sing, I'm putting faith on the song 112, displayed in John, the way to respond When his patience runs out, then it's time for the rod, man Microwave, wrath of God, fam That's why, because of Christ, I got mad joy All I'm saying is I used to be a bad boy <laughs> But nowadays, I'm regenerated Born again from above, fam, how else can I say it? Went from various vices to a kid that's married to Christ Using literary devices to spit it very precise My conversion to the master was so dramatic I just 
just wanted to be an ambassador or fanatic. The gospel was my tonic. With Christ, I couldn't lose. But to walk with God like Enoch, I knew I couldn't cruise. This walk is a beast, but nothing's greater than the cross. Saw the mark of the east and the raiders of the laws. While Tower Records was choosing to carry G-Unit. I was on that revolutionary theme music. The brothers from the Lou held it down as well. But we noticed the big shift in 2012. Around the time Jackie asked me about Calvinism. Christian hip-hop found a different algorithm. And crossed over without taking the crossover. Made us all sober. Years later, is it all over? Trip asked me if I was still motivated. I was quiet, but I wanted to say no, I hate it. Cause brothers in your camp causing lots of confusion. I love them as brothers in Christ, but not their conclusions. They want to reach the world by all means. Keep pursuing it. But tell me why they got to diss the church while they doing it. That's what I wanted to say, but I ain't say it though. But no more laying low. I want them to play it slow. And I ain't dissing them. My prayers are the proof. Like Boaz without Ruth is unity without truth. CHH is like gorillas in the mist. With no brotherly love, it's like Philly don't exist. What's happening here? It's a different atmosphere. Cats appear most concerned about a rap career. Brothers overseas being slain in the sand. While we're vain in our plan, taking fame in some fans. And I ain't got time to philosophize. Satan got a plot device. I'm seeing lots of guys apostatize. On top of all that, Donald Trump's the president. It's all good though, cause Jesus Trump's the president. So more than ever, I'm trying to rep the Lord who bled. And we ain't never gonna stop. Word to Corey Red. I'm just trying to give a healthy demonstration of theocentric music for the selfie generation. See, the problem is sin, no riddle in it. Cause all sin got I in the middle of it. We're mad to praise and truly evil. We need to be born again without a Matt Damon movie sequel. In the gospel, God addresses our depravity. The lamb slain at Calvary, the depths of his agony. He rose from the grave with the funding grace. And so when we come in faith, he'll bring us up from the sunken place. Our sins decrepit, depths left the mess. No rest was left till Jesus put death to death. The beauty of the victory truly is a mystery. The cross of Jesus Christ is at the nucleus of history. Before the cross, they were saved on credit. After the cross, we've been saved on debit. Since our champion in the great war suffered, we gon' proclaim his death like the Lord suffer. So welcome to the Still Jesus Project. Yo, we just getting started and we got a lot left. That's Shannon with Random Thoughts 3. And you can find them at lampmode.com, L-A-M-P-M-O-D-E dot C-O-M, lampmode.com. I'm Melissa here, Trippy Tall Radio. And next we got for you, this is Shannon with One Day. Yeah, man, it's crazy how time flies. My mind tries to sit still, thinking how does one define wise? Feels like yesterday I was a newcomer, fresh in the game, ready to make the truth thunder. But as the beat plays, they lose wonder. After a few summers, the band's ready for a new drummer. Doesn't matter if you're not ready yet. Yesterday I was a cadet, now they call me a vet. But it's part of common sense that the artist's time will end. To the young, this topic can be hard to comprehend. They don't come close to understanding how you can go from most demanded to abandoned in the ocean stranded. Surrounded by the waves of your weariness, some things you only learn from age and experience. And it's plain to me that all the famous men you see, the time is coming when they will be a faded memory. Cause one day you hot, the next day you not. One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah. What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah 
so-and-so, that's what they want to know. Eventually we learn that they all come and go. Today's rising star, tomorrow dies with scars. Today they all struck, tomorrow you washed up. I remember watching Jordan's Hall of Fame speech. Thinking this is what it's like to watch the lame reaching gas, but he tries to grasp what lies in the past. Never to return, what lies in the past? Did he tell himself? Was he lost or sober? Did he know it was all but over? The moment that AI crossed him over? If I could be like, didn't include dying light. Let's shine the light on the one they call Iron Mike. Nowadays he's known for being all weird. But back in 88, nobody was more feared. At the peak of his powers, his opponents would retreat in moments he would eat and devour. Snuff with punches, but we must discuss this. Crushed it just enough to trust his toughness. Pride brings us to justice. You puffed up with smugness? You gonna meet Buster Douglas. Amazing that, which blazed like Petro. The new praise that made the waves in the metro. Was praised for days, but just a phase like retro. And fades like echoes. Echoes, echoes, echoes. Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who it is What I'm speaking on is seriously welcomed by the few Even no experience to tell you that it's true On your radio station, this won't be found on the playlist Wisdom, the sound of the stages, resounding for ages The older I get, I notice it The whole of the script, hmm, it's found in the pages A holy writ, not the cash speech of the reverend But what a man sees under heaven Ecclesiastes 111 No matter who you are, death aims to stop you Whether banker, doctor, or Frank Sinatra before your time is done, meet the timeless one The dying, death-defying, rising, shining sun King Jesus astounds and amazes He pounded the pavement to save those who were bound to their cages So let us praise the one who made the Everglades Our debt was paid, so in glory we'll never fade Never fade, never fade
Yeah, is go fish with off highway. You want to find out more about them? Go to gofishguys.com. That's G-O-F-I-S-H-G-U-I-S.com. Gofishguys.com. And next I got for you, it's unsaved. I have a Bible that I read. I know the truth and I believe. I go to church with my friends. Ourselves. 
And the truth is not in us. Well, that seems pretty straightforward. We lie to ourselves if we think that we never sin. Paul was not confused on this issue. Romans chapter 7, verse 19, Paul said, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do, even as a Christian, the stuff I don't want to do, I keep on doing it. Can a Christian be perfect? Actually, yes, we, we, we could, because we've got the power of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, we are seen as perfect because we have been justified, and yet we see from those two verses that we continue to sin. That's why the Reformers used some Latin, simul justus et peccator. We are simultaneously justified, yet Sinning, that's the Christian life, and that's what a lot of dead guys believe, too. This quote from John Gill, For all have sinned, this is the general character of all mankind. All have sinned because of Adam, are guilty by his sin, polluted with it, and condemned for it. All are sinners in themselves, and by their own actual transgressions, this is the case of the whole world and of all the men in it. Nobody is perfect. And if you happen to be one of those Christians who believes in Christian perfectionism, the Bible and mere observance should inform you. While we are justified and forgiven, we keep on sinning. What are the implications to this Understanding number one, when we are justified, we are seen as perfect, but we still sin. And number two, after justification, God begins to sanctify us, making us progressively more holy. And number three, when we die, God whew, will glorify us and make us sinless. But not until then. Big question. Can a Christian be perfect? Short answer, not until we get to heaven. If you'd like more Wretched content, and who will visit Wretched.org, and you will have Wretched coming out of your nose. And that's biblical. Thank you, to go to their website, wretched.org, or also on YouTube as Wretched, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D, and you could see other things they have. That was called Big Questions, Short Answers. And I'm going to play another one. This is um, from, let me see, it's from their radio show. And let's see, what is it? Trying to find it. Um, it says you will have to make a decision on this. This is Richard Radio. Isn't that a conundrum we might all be facing soon? This is Wretched Radio, idea at wretched.org, idea at wretched.org. Going to keep this person's name out of it for pretty obvious reasons. Subject line, new hire at my workplace is transgender. Oh boy, what do I do? 
I'm avoiding addressing her by any name, but I do greet her and ask her how she is because she is made in the image of God. She's a fellow image bearer, and I want to be a good witness to her and love her, but I will not join in her dysphoria and play pretend because she's confused. I do not have a definitive response for this because I don't think that there is a definitive response. I do believe that this issue is going to fall under the tent of adiaphora. It is a disputable dispensation. It's a gray area, and different Christians are going to respond differently. How do I know? Thanks for asking. was sitting in a car with Tom Hammond, He's the fellow who wrote What Time is Purple, which you can get at wretched.org slash purple. Was with John Fabares. I was with Mike Riccardi. Okay, these are not three theological knuckleheads. And we talked about this issue. What would you do? Because this issue is going to confront you. Whether you work in a, in a, in a business, you are a teacher, you, 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 wherever it is that you, your neighborhood, you're going to be confronted with this. What are you going to do? Are you going to call Bob Babette? Are you going to call him a her because he has dysphoria? Uh, I'll just share with you what I think are the compelling arguments on each side and argue both ways. And, and I think we need to let each one of our brothers and sisters make this decision for themselves without us thinking that the other one is apostate because they make a different decision. I truly understand how somebody could say, I can't do it. That's what this person said. I can't participate in their dysphoria. And I get that. So if you are thinking that you are participating in their sin or somehow giving hearty affirmation to their sin, whether it's for that person or the people who watch it, then you should not do it because I do believe regardless of whether that is actually right or wrong, you'd never override your conscience. On the other side, and this is, I will tell you, that this is where I currently reside on the issue. And I, I, I could be wrong. I used to hold that side. I can't do it. I, I, I remember the, the Bruce Jenner, when, when that was like the first one that we were confronted with. What do you call him? Well, when I'm talking to you, I call him him because he is a him. That's the way God made him, and he is the one who puts gender labels on people via body parts and DNA. So it's already been settled, Bruce. So talking to you about him, oh, those are the pronouns I would use. That's the name I would use. And that's where that I used to say that's the way I would talk to him too. And then I tried to think through what this issue is. Not that we put a whole lot of stock in secular psychiatry, but it used to be pretty much even unbelievers recognize something is wrong in somebody's thinking when they perceive they're a different gender. That's, that is unnatural. I'm not even talking biblically here. It's just unnatural. That, by the way, that is an argument for male and female and, and how we use our body parts. Everything in creation screams a purpose. And if something is made for a purpose, to not use it with its purposeful intention is to mar it, is to do it wrongly. Now, that's a scholastic argument, but nevertheless, this person who thinks that he or she is the opposite gender has, in my opinion, a particular manifestation of the noetic effect of the fall. All of our brains, remember, kafritz. Because of the fall, 
There's a curse on the world. It all groans, including you and me. Our, our elbows get sore. You get arthritis. Your body parts break down. It's all because of the fall. Do we think our brain is exempt from this? No, and we've got the devil and the world and the flesh screaming lies to us all day, every day. And we tend to listen to those things far too much. Nevertheless, our brains, they are not operating the way that they should. They're receiving the wrong information all the time. And somebody who believes that they are not what they clearly are, you can call it mental illness if you would like to. I think that it fits under that category. Having said, we all, to varying degrees, have mental illness. Because mental illness is far more than people who get locked up in, in a psych ward or get strapped down or get put into a padded cell so that they don't harm themselves. Mental illness is far broader than that. There are people that have some pretty serious issues that are running corporations. They're driving vehicles. They're making big deals. They could be in our government. they got issues. You can be functioning. You prefer the term high-functioning alcoholic. There can be a high-functioning person with gender dysphoria. And so currently I reside in the camp of if I were, let's just say, in a psychological ward of a hospital and there was somebody who believed he was in the unit who believed that he was a giraffe. And if I didn't call him Glenda the giraffe, he'd, he'd, he'd lose it and be upset. What would I do? And I think the answer is, I, I, in, in order to focus on the bigger issue, I, I would, okay, okay, Glenda the giraffe, let, let's come this way so that we can do this thing. I don't think that's sinning to do that, and I don't think that it's giving a hearty endorsement to their sin because of what the issue is. Now, having said that, and I know there's a little caveat in this so that you could tag me, nevertheless, when, when somebody is, is, is doing, let's say, a, a, a lifestyle commitment sin, they want to enshrine their relationship by supposedly getting married. Would I do anything that gave that hearty endorsement? No, I wouldn't because that is just an overt participating in sin. Calling somebody a gender because they've got a mental, they're, they're dysphoric, I personally don't see that as being a sin. You will have to decide for yourself, because it's coming. Idea at wretched.org. Gentlemen, is there anything you would add to what I just said about the issue that's going to be confronting all of us? I have one one little oh, thought there. Did I know. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was just wondering. I think a big uh, a big factor that we have to uh, add into that, and I don't know how this actually applies, is did you know the person before they transitioned or not, or before they? they okay, I'm curious. I haven't heard that. What difference does that make? Well, if you've already got an established relationship, what if someone comes up to you and says, "My name is Glenda the Draft." You've never known them as Bob the person, right? Well, okay, let me just toss this into the pot, too. I think, Joey, there's also a distinction between pronouns and names. That, that, that calling somebody a name, is, is Alice a feminine or a masculine name? That's obviously a feminine. Why? Because that is what society has... Exactly. Okay, what about pronouns? What's a him? Well, that's clearly a him. Yes, yes. 
and versus a her. Like they, there's all kinds of considerations in this. I get that. And Joey, knowing somebody, okay, put that in the pot and stir it around. Whatever yeah. you do, put the ingredients in now and start thinking it through because it is only a matter of time before you get an email or you are pulled into the office and you are told, guess what? You've got a new student. And you will call him a Zed. Better start thinking it through. It's a coming. Idea at wretched.org. It will not happen where I work. It will not happen where you work. <laughs> Is there something you're not telling us? No, that's why I'm... No, I'm good. Man, I'm annoyed with myself. Is there a feminine version of to- Antonia? There. Ow, timing. Antoinette. You're not telling me? Antoinette? Actually, if I wouldn't be Anthony, I was going to be Sebastian, so let's not go there, shall we? All righty, then. Idea at wretched.org. This is from Lewis. I have a hard time sharing the gospel. Join the club. <laughs> it's, it's, I, you know, when you're sharing the gospel and you're plugged in, it's, it's, it, is, it, it, it demands a lot of your brain because you're thinking a lot. Hopefully, you're still listening really hard and praying all of the you're multitasking and you do enough of that long enough you can finish a longer witness encounter or several of them in a row and it's like wow I, it's it can be work if you're really striving to do it well so yes we all have a hard time but i don't think that's what lewis meant i i i start and i i, I kind of get off track i get confused i i so get that I totally get that, and that is why I think if you just remember a really basic structure, there's just some components that you've got to stick with, and we use it all the time on Witness Wednesday here. What would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? WDJD, would you consider yourself a good person? Do you think you've kept the Ten Commandments? If God gave you justice, what would you do? What's your destiny, eternal destiny, heaven or hell? Helps keep you Remember things like that. It doesn't make it a system. It just gives you a device that helps you to remember it. You've got to get in the character and the nature of God. You've got to get in the character and the nature of man and God's correct response to our character and nature based on his character and nature. Talk about judgment. Talk about wrath. Talk about hell. And talk about the glorious good news that God knew that we could not save ourselves. And so his pre-eternal plan was to save us by sending his son to die for us. What glorious good news. You remember those components, and you will not struggle. Until tomorrow, go serve your king. Oh, I am so surprised that you are still here. Apparently, you've got a lot of free time. If you would like to get more Wretched, and who wouldn't, simply like this video, subscribe to this channel, and we will give you Wretched till it's coming out of your nose. Yeah, or Wretched, and said you'll have to make this decision, and it's their YouTube channel, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D, Wretched. Check that out, and also their that radio show and TV show at wretched.org, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D.org, wretched.org. And here's some of most can't here on Truth of Total Radio. And I'm gonna play a song of some go fish, but say your name. All I wanna do is praise your name from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. You are my God, and all I wanna do is praise your name. I praise your name, and this is 
went wrong at one time So much pressure fell on me I thought I was gonna lose my mind But I know you wanna see If I will hold on through this trial But I need you to lift this load Cause I can't take it no more Take a push out the stuff I see so I can dance I just wanna praise you I just wanna praise you Shelter! 
yeah. Sovereign Lord, you truly deserve the prime praise. In creation, we can see your design trace. But since the fall, this world is such an unkind place. With crime pays, seeking the devil's wine taste. In my case, I was just on a blind chase, a mind waste. Trapped in my asinine ways But Christ breaks himself Entered into time space The vine breaks So the branches could find grace When light's rays hit the soul The paradigm shakes Sublime race Run at a predefined pace Now me and Jesus are closer than intertwined lace And by faith we behold his divine face So as we're lifting up our praise to you Receive it Lord The object of our affection Whom we adore Fallen in our misery You daughter into history The pardon of iniquity Startling the mystery Oceans, the plains, mountains, the rains, the universe proclaims the glory of your name. And what am I that you called me to your side and took this heart of stone and broke it open wide? Like the loudest group of Christ brought us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future, crashing our verses. 
as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose, partly to fetch hats from the furnace. Through Jesus' extravagant service, immaculate purchase, he was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He proceeded was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior. The great I am became a man, came as a lamb, and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked on the cross, he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts, easily posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority, so we both in a most exalted King Christ Supreme. He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer. No God is realer, yeah. When you're taking your time in the scripture, with the gate is a prominent picture. See his light shining bright in the night, and his bright in the might, and a diamond in mixture. See his name at all the renown, though. When he came for the lost that he found, though. He was tamed and floss all around, but remained for the manger, the cross, or the crown. Yo, Satan had a trick hold on him. Fight for the rope, but open in. All to the eyes of the S to the E to the N. That's what we hoping in. Risen on his spell check, the risen king can rinse clean. The most rebellious, I was hell bound, now I'm spellbound. Word is born. I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout. I was bought with a price. We gotta hope it won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth's sinking. We are clinging to the promises that God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly Proportionate, everything that orbits around his glory subordinate. He is the most excellent one, intrinsic, infinite son, preeminent the name, par excellence, prenom, phenomenon. He's beyond phenomenon, you see, the father of cosmology, the abba of astronomy. He's part of we of pottery, it's shocking Jesus died for me. The father, he adopted me and constantly provides for me. Whether or not I got degrees, you gotta see his odyssey. From sovereignty and lottery to poverty and robbery to resurrected bodily apocalyptic prophecy. He's stopping all the mockery and scholarly snobbery that don't Acknowledge him properly. You ought to be on bended knee before the preeminent. It's awfully arrogant to reject him to your detriment. Study the development from Old to New Testament. You'll find a theme that's prevalent from age to age. It's relevant. Crisis on its center stage. Forget religious sentiments. The center on man. But something less is what you're settling. He is the most excellent. Exercising benevolence and blessing a remnant with the benefits of his inheritance. Yeah. The sin of sinners that separated and segregated that severed the relations between man and his maker and placed Christ on his costly cross and compensated his life death and resurrection emancipated and gave us freedom from it all freedom from the effects of the fall freedom from adam and eve in the garden of eden and from the law so the saints stand and applaud his grace and glorious cause with hands raised praising his name singing glory to god <laughs> Wretched and 
this is with the towel washer. I want the entire world to hear the gospel in my generation. I want every person on this planet to be saved. I want I want this to work more than anything else. But it will not work through pragmatism, and some of you need to hear this, through politics. We need men who won't just talk about the truth, but will say, I'm going to live it, and my church is going to live it, and we're going to actually do what this book says. Because until then, you're just a little boy playing Reformation. Oh, imagine my surprise that you're still here. Hey, if you'd like more Wretched, because apparently you've got enough free time, would you like this video, subscribe to this channel, and we will give you Wretched till it's coming out of your nose. It's time for Wretched Radio with Talk Real. The culture war is over. This is Wretched Radio. For years, have we evangelicals not been engaged in a culture war, fighting to make sure that people start behaving the way that they used to when it was perfect, you know, in the 50s, when apparently there was no sin? Well, we dressed better, a little bit more maturely. We had sitcoms that weren't salty. But we have this tendency to desire for our culture to return to a time when we perceive that it was less sinful. And we've been calling it the culture war, conservative values versus liberal, biblical versus ungodly. Is it possible that the culture war is over, not because a particular side has won, although it could actually be argued a particular side has one and it wasn't the good guys, but because there is no culture to fight over? What is a culture? We've all used the term, haven't we? This is a culture war. All right, what is a culture? And I fear that many of our definitions have included a return to happy days. That's when when Father Knows Best was on, look at how much... There's, all, of the, all of this sin wasn't going on. Well, I grant you that a lot of the external sinning that we see today, the celebration of sin, the flying of flags that are like a fist shake to God, uh, I get that. Human hearts were no less depraved. But if that's our definition of culture, I wonder if we need a, a more accurate understanding of what a real culture is so that we can see where the genuine battle needs to be fought. I was reading a number of articles from Carl Truman, and that ain't easy. He is a smart fellow. He's a Presbyterian, very smart guy, firstthings.com. And he's writing, was writing a number of articles talking about the age that we are living in. And I wonder if his perspective as a church history theologian. He's at Westminster in Philadelphia. Maybe we could use his perspective to tweak how we are engaging our culture and how we are viewing events in our society. Is the culture war over? Is, is, is Christian cultural engagement at an end? I, I would just stop again. What is Christian cultural engagement? 
What is Christian and cultural engagement? I think that our current understanding of it is, well, you know, we, we're, well, we try to use the Bible to have people understand, say, the Ten Commandments and live in a society that's well-ordered, where you don't steal stuff and you don't murder, all very fine things. But the question, though, is, is that biblical cultural engagement? What is the church's mandate for engaging the culture? Are they the same thing? R. Scott, uh, R. Scott Clark, Carl Truman says, I believe the answer is yes, it is over. For to engage a culture, there must be a culture to engage. We tend to think pop culture. We see what's going on on MTV. We see what's going on with the music, the video games. Uh, okay, that's pop culture. The, the, the latest Taylor Swift album, uh, that's pop culture. What Lady Gaga is up to. What the current movie is, that's not culture. That's pop culture. What is culture? If we define it as the elaborate structures and materials built into the very fabric of society for the refinement and transmission of its beliefs and its forms of life from generation to generation, hang in there, he's, he's heady, connecting past, present, and future, then we don't have a culture, not at all. We, 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 we've got all kinds of critical theory going on, and we've got intersectionality being taught in schools, but nothing that passes values, standards, morals, traditions from the past to the present that we desire to impart to a future generation. Now remember, you're getting a church historian's perspective. That's, that's what makes a culture. The, the, the things that define who we are, family, that, that, that's a cultural issue. How, how do we, is it all about just getting old enough to get out of there, and then I'm done with my parents, and then we get to go live and count seashells by the seashore and let the kids do whatever? And well, that's a, that's a big cultural issue, isn't it? How we view family, how we view religion, how we view Issues in society that have lasting implications. That is what a culture makes. From elite critical theory, this is Carl Truman, in the lecture theaters of the Ivy Leagues to the rampant epidemic of pornography on so many computer screens, we live in a world that seeks to detach and isolate the present from any accountability to past or future. So we don't really have much of a culture we live in a world where refusing a man the right to expose himself in a woman's toilet is enough to risk your city losing the right to host a football game. Anti-culture, the wholesale repudiation of the past and its institutions, an interdicts and a devil-may-care attitude to the future. So he says we're living in a time where it is just now, Daddy-O, just now. Just give me self-gratification. That's all I want. I want pleasure. I, 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 I want nothing but pleasure. And pleasure, by the way, not just kicking my feet up, having a brewski, watching the game. It's devolved into sexual pleasure. Has it not? And isn't that? And we should have known. I didn't know. We should have known. I did not think that our cultural downfall would be over the sexual issues that we're seeing, but we should have known it from Romans 1. And that's the ultimate aim, isn't it? I just want to have sexual pleasure any way that I define it. I don't care. Just leave me alone. Stay out of my mess. 
I want mine. I want it the way that I can get it, and I don't care because we're living in an anti-culture. We're not in a culture. We're living in an anti-culture. We're not connected to anything. Oh, those Neanderthals, those knuckleheads. What when kids study history? What are they learning? How bad those people were. That's not studying history. That's a lens. To, 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 what, for what re- To detach us from history. Well, what attitude do we have that cultivates a care for the future other than, let's say, the forest? Uh, generational stuff. I, this is why I believe that we have so many kids that are abandoned, even when there's two parents at home, that we've got so many kids who are just plopped into daycare. Me, 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 me. That's our culture. That's our society. Me. I don't care about the kids. Me. And that's the song that our culture has been singing for how long? Self-esteem movement, love, self. I was The sermon that I heard from John Street on Sunday, he was talking about one of his students who does some temporary, some sub-work in public schools. And I think he, was, he went into a class, and it, I don't know if it was elementary, junior high, it didn't make any difference. And the, here, here, here was the question for the kids to answer. You are a salesperson, and your product is you. Give five reasons why people should purchase you. Oh, oh, I can do that. Oh, in other words, sing about all of your great attributes. What makes you so wonderful? What is that? That's the self-love movement. Now that gets cultivated throughout our life. Seek your happiness. Seek what makes brings you pleasure. Okay? You know, I think I'd like some kids, but I'd also like to make a lot of money and have finer wine. So you, 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 you kids don't come first. You do. That's our society. That is our culture. Carl Truman, Christians need to wake up to this. We have no culture to engage, let alone transform. It is thus time to drop the hip rhetoric of cultural engagement and transformation that comforts us that we are part of some non-existent dialogue and that grants the world of our opponents a dignity which it simply does not deserve. I want to go a step further than that. That it's maybe time for us to do nothing but get back to what we're supposed to be doing. We see it all the time, don't we? And really, what difference does... Okay, so people don't watch Game of Thrones. So Hollywood doesn't produce Game of Thrones. But they don't love Jesus. And maybe the outside is cleaned up a little bit, but they die and go to hell because the inside of the cup is filthy, filled with dead man's bones. Who, who, ultimately, who, it's not, yes, I get it. I get the benefit. I, I understand. But we are at a point, perhaps, in history, and this, this is the issue that I think wrapping our brains around this is very, very difficult. That the world, the world that we live in today, it's not the 50s. It's not. It's not even remotely similar. I feel personally like I have been somehow Star Trek out of here and placed into it, beamed up, and then, then trans. What are they? Scotty. Transported. That's the one right there, transported to another time and place. And so now maybe it would be a good season for us to say, what have we been doing? What have we been trying to accomplish in our culture, which now doesn't even exist when we understand the difference between pop culture and actual culture? Now what is the mission of the Christian and what is the role of the church? Is it to clean up thug music? Is it to try to get nicer videos 
rather than people shooting up police, well, I think that's a good idea. Is that the role of the church? Or perhaps has the role of the church been something different? And maybe just maybe because we've been forsaking that, distracted with a culture war, which maybe has been nothing but a pop culture war, maybe, that we have relegated the task that only the church can accomplish, and that is preaching the gospel for the regeneration of humans and the change of a heart and a life. Maybe it's time for us to rethink what we are doing. This is Wretched Radio. Wretched. We're hip. We're technologically savvy. Would you please join us in liking, subscribing, or sharing this video? Um, that's all for Truth Be Told Radio. And go out with the via, uh, yes, your friends with the VI really. Tell us time. Bye for now.